Support for this podcast and the following message come from Georgetown School of Continuing Studies, where you can earn a master's degree or professional certificate downtown or online. All options, all Georgetown. Learn more at scs.georgetown.edu. I am now well aware that we violated NPR policy protocol by bringing a chicken into the building. The voice you're hearing is Jason Bobian. He's an NPR correspondent. And on Monday at NPR headquarters where Jason was working, and we should say NPR is located in a pretty urban area in downtown Washington, D.C., Jason noticed that a bunch of reporters and producers were standing and huddling around the windows looking outside because there was a chicken out there. A very fancy chicken. And we were, we were quite worried that, she, I mean, yeah, we were quite concerned that she was going to get run over by a cement truck or by somebody or a bus or something like that. That was part of the overall reason for wanting to bring it in. Yeah. So Jason goes outside. The chicken is running around everywhere. There are people chasing it. He finally gets his hands on it. He puts it in one of those U.S. mail containers and puts a sweater on top of it. So he has the chicken, but he has work to do. He can't just um, take a couple hours and take the chicken to a farm. So uh, he takes the chicken inside NPR's world headquarters. And that chicken went on to become Steve Inskeep. That part's not true. Did you, Jason, did you sneak her past security in the mail container? Okay, I will confess to not saying what it was we had inside the mail crate. We did not divulge that information to the security guard. You so didn't... it wasn't a full-on sneak, but um, we, we, we probably didn't give full disclosure about what we were bringing in to the building. So they put the chicken in an office, a a chicken. I feel like it's worth pointing out at this point that uh, Mike and I have both worked at NPR for uh, many years. Really long time. And we still both just have cubicles. I mean, they're very nice, but they are cubicles. There's plenty of feed, at least. And of of course she did manage to escape at one point because lots of people were coming in to see her. and uh, but she did not get all the way out of the office, you know, the 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 single office that she was in, um, and I had to go in and get her again. I find I find something like I, I think about you know all things considered was recorded in that building that day, five million people listening, they would have never imagined that just just you know a few feet away from that microphone there was a, a chicken in a box yeah it's amazing we put on this whole thing we seem so professional and right down the hall there's this chicken in a box so when you were outside with the chicken and the chicken was running back and forth across the road were you the reason that the chicken crossed the road um (laughs) Not me personally. I'm not, I'm not taking responsibility personally for being the reason the chicken crossed the road initially. Um, well, Jason, were... why, why then? Why did the chicken cross the road? Because she was freaked out. Yep. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how not to hitchhike in Morocco. But first... Hey, Patrick. What can we help you with? Okay. So my wife and I, we have a running debate. I'm not really sure where this came from. I know she had come home from a dentist appointment, and 
we started going back and forth and bantering about, well, what do you talk to these people about? How, how do you get to know these people so well? And we got down to just the question of, what do you do with your eyes while you're sitting there in this dentist chair? And it turns out my wife looks these people right in the eyes the entire time that they're working on her teeth. Wow. And I tend to either close my eyes or I look away. Mm-hmm. To me, that just seems more polite. And I just picture my wife laying there in the chair giving them this death stare. So we'd like to know what does a dental hygienist or a dentist actually prefer to have a patient do with their eyes? Uh-huh. I just think if someone were staring at me the whole time I was working, I'd get pretty uncomfortable. And also, you I mean, you want their eyes in your mouth. That You want to be making right. mouth-to-eye yeah. contact. And I, that's a part I didn't even think of. Well, well, really, this is uh, it's they're so close to you when they're right. right there, and there's very few people that you want to look at for that long, <laughs> that close. Right. I can think of one person. <laughs> Let me ask you this: but for for both you and your wife, would you say either of you have dreamy eyes? My wife has very large eyes. Okay. Okay. But not dreamy. I I don't know what I would define as dreamy. And she's going to listen to this, yeah, so she is. I've just gotten myself in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you want to fix it? I mean, we could fix this in the, in the edits. But for, for both you and your wife, would you say either of you have dreamy eyes? My wife has incredibly dreamy eyes. All right, Patrick, we're going to look into this and see if we can get you some sort of solution. I really appreciate it. You know, we, we should... Hear about this from the other side. We should get the dentist's perspective on this. Sharon Horwitz is a dentist here in Chicago. So, Sharon, you heard Patrick's question. Where do you think people should look when they're in the dentist chair? Well, it depends on the patient. Um, I know as for myself being in the chair, I tend to uh, follow the reflection in the doctor's glasses and watch everything that's going on inside my mouth. But that's just me personally. Um, most patients uh, look into the light and just get mesmerized <laughs> by that, or they close their eyes and just uh, go to another place in their mind. Do you ever have a patient who just locks eyes with you and you start to get freaked out? <laughs> of course, there's always those few. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, when they're staring for a normally long extended period of time, you <laughs> I guess that can be yeah. um, odd. <laughs> Do you ever give him a little gas just to chill him out? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, we should we should stop this interview here. I was uh, about to ask a question about gorillas because um, I have heard that gorillas uh, are uncomfortable with eye contact. But really, what we should do is actually just do that piece, and it it'll be a dream sequence from this dentist piece to a gorilla piece. So we're having a dream during the interview with the dentist where. Now we're at the zoo. You and I are having a shared dream. Uh, My name is Maureen Leahy, and I'm the curator of primates here at Lincoln Park Zoo. And can you introduce the the folks behind us? Sure. So right now we are standing in front of Kwan's gorilla troop. And Kwan is the name of our silverback leader of the group. Um, And his troop of western lowland gorillas um, has Kwan as the only male. And he's got his hands full with uh, six females. So there's three adult females and um, his offspring that he's had the past three years have all been female as well. So we have 
uh, two toddlers, um, one of which is going to be turning three years old next week. Um, and our youngest is a female named Bella. She is uh, about six months old. So is there anything you can tell us working with Quan that Patrick can use when he's at the dentist? Well, that's a great question. We, we do need to be mindful as humans when we're observing them at the zoo, for example, um, because when you stare directly at them and make intense eye contact in gorilla language, that can be considered a visual threat. So direct eye to eye stare downs would not be considered good social etiquette in the gorilla world. So kind of the thing as a curious person coming to the zoo that you might naturally do, which is stare at the animal, to them, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't really feel good. Um, and you'll notice that typically the gorillas, at least for most of the adults, and most certainly the males in particular, the adult males, they will not choose most likely to make a direct eye contact with you unless they actually feel threatened, in which case they will look you literally straight down. And you can tell by that very intense eye gaze that they mean, look, I'm intimidating you with my eyeballs right now, okay. so why don't you back away, please? There's a zoo, I believe it's Rotter Rotterdam Zoo, who passes out sort of fake glasses to their zoo guests that literally have the eyeballs yes. redirecting in um, in opposite directions, so to prevent the animals from actually visualizing your real eye gaze. So it has eyes printed on it, so if you're staring at those glasses, it looks like that person is looking away, even though they're staring at you. Correct. So, so what do you think about something like that for the dentist? I think it would freak them out, but that might be worth it in the value right there. If, um, if Quan needed to go to the dentist, what would you suggest for the dentist so that the dentist would survive that encounter? Well, it's interesting you should ask about Quan going to the dentist. So here at Lincoln Park Zoo, we do a lot of things in our animal care, and essentially many of the keeper staff are Quan's dentists on a daily basis. So we engage our gorillas in operant conditioning training programs where they will voluntarily participate for a small food reward, and we train them to do things like open their mouth wide, allow us to inspect their open mouth with a flashlight, and in many cases, using a very long-handled toothbrush to keep at a safe distance. And again, we are working in a protected contact situation. Uh, Quan, for example, is one that that will allow animal care staff to brush his teeth. What? Do, That's right. Is there a does is there toothpaste? There is toothpaste involved. What what's it flavored like? Um, interestingly, we, we choose to use a baking soda um, type of uh, toothpaste for them. Um, it's something we found that they prefer not to actually ingest. So uh, we put small amounts on and, and are able to, to brush their teeth. When you uh, do your dental visits with Quan, um, does he ever lie about how often he flosses? <laughs> That's a great question. No, no, he's pretty, pretty honest. What's the scientific name of a gorilla? All right, are you ready for it? It's really complex. The genus species name for Western lowland gorilla is gorilla, gorilla, gorilla. No. Wait, three gorillas? Well, genus species, subspecies. For Western lowland gorillas. For just Western lowland, it's gorilla, gorilla, gorilla. Yes. Okay, so the weird dream sequence thing that just happened um, is now over, and we're going to go 
back to our interview with Sharon. So, I mean, you're a dentist, but you're also a person. So you have to get your own teeth cleaned. Mm-hmm. I always wonder when you're there and your your own dentist has uh, his or her hands in your mouth, are you able to carry on a conversation? I think one of most dentists' worst habits is is asking patients questions where their mouth is full and they're unable to answer back. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm guilty of that. Okay, let me ask you this. So when I know I have a dentist appointment, I usually have, you know, a week of advance warning. So for those you know, five or six days ahead of the appointment, I will floss. <laughs> That's about it. Is that what you do when you know you have to go to the dentist? I typically stay on top of my hygiene, uh, my oral hygiene, and uh, I, I'm i a pretty good flosser. Um, overall, my teeth are stable, but I've been through my share of, uh, of dental procedures. Do you step up uh, any part of your game, though, in the week before you have a dentist appointment? Do you do anything more than you typically do? Um, I mean, we can always tell when a patient has not been flossing. We um. can always tell. have you ever done any of your own dental work i have not but i've known other people that have like how how serious a would people fill their own cavities oh yeah and anesthetize themselves oh Mm -hmm. how would you do that uh it actually can be done i've uh i've polished my teeth at the most but uh, i haven't gone that far as sticking a needle in my mouth Well, Dr. Sharon, thank you so much. Thank you. Support for this week's episode and this message about their support for this week's episode comes from naturebox.com. At Naturebox, they understand that your life is busy and there's not always time to go to the store. Naturebox makes it easy to start snacking smarter. Choose from over 100 tasty options like sriracha roasted cashews and French toast granola, or fill out your snack profile and get personalized recommendations delivered right to your door. Spend more time doing what you love and less time trying to find parking. Visit naturebox.com and get 50% off your first box now. Is this another dream? It is. We'd also like to thank stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can avoid trips to the post office, buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer. 500,000 small businesses already use stamps.com. Right now, use the promo code EVERYTHING for a special offer, a four-week trial plus a digital scale and free postage. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in EVERYTHING. Hey, Emily, what can we help you with? So um, I was driving with a friend, and we were both talking about how the kind of gesture of showing that you're impressed with yourself by kind of, like, shining your hands or your nails on your shoulder and then blowing on them, like, where that came from, what it means, if there's, like, a certain way to do it right, and if it's, like, an appropriate way to show that you're totally impressed with yourself. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's um, everyone knows what it means, but it's never something I I do naturally. Like I never need to polish my nails on my shoulder and then blow on them. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> so what do you? What's your best guess about about where it came from? You know, maybe like a hard 
days work and you still have like a nice manicure? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't even <laughs> tried to come up with something yet. Yeah. Well, we're going to look into this for you. Okay. That would be awesome. I, I mean, I would say this is such a good question. You should feel free to, um, you know, polish your nails on your shoulder and then blow on them. Okay, perfect. I'm doing it right now. Well, we have someone on the line who can help us with this. It's uh, Desmond Morris. Desmond has spent his life traveling the world and collecting information about the gestures people make in various countries. So, Desmond, do you know where this uh, nail shining pride gesture comes from? Yes, I do. It's common in Europe and in the Americas, and it's a gesture which goes back to the time when people were considered that, that they had to be smartly dressed. I mean, today we've become increasingly casual with our clothing, but uh, if you wanted to make a gesture saying, I'm smart, you made a gesture which somehow or other reflected the fact that you were smartening yourself up. And so by polishing your fingernails and then uh, rubbing your fingernails against, actually originally it was against the lapel, meant that you were smartening yourself up. You were, you were doing a little bit of body improvement, as it were. Sure. Uh, and therefore, if you did something which you felt had uh, made you smarter than you were a few minutes ago, I just made a smart remark, or, or, uh, and, and then you would symbolize this by smartening yourself up. And that's, that's how it began. Are there, are there other gestures that, that other cultures use to do the same, to kind of give the same message? Um, not that I've come across, not that particular one. I mean, I do, it, it's very interesting when you go to different cultures uh, and you do find uh, some differences, and, and actually they can be quite dangerous because, for example, if you want to say uh, things are okay, you give a thumbs up. And uh, now in some countries, that's an obscenity. And when you see hitchhikers in those countries, hitchhiking by jerking a thumb at the passing drivers, uh, they, they won't get a lift because, because what they're doing is saying, up yours to the drivers. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yes, there are certain uh, Mediterranean countries where uh, if you want to hitch a lift, you don't jerk your thumb at them. You, you wave a hand at them. So, Desmond, in all your travels... Have you ever made a mistake with a gesture? I've never had any serious mistake. I mean, I've never actually got punched in the face, you know, for, for a gesture, although there are certainly some gestures that in, in Arabic countries, for example, you, you mustn't have one hand with the fingertips together and then touch that hand with the forefinger of the other hand. If you do that, you're saying uh, that... Um, you had five fathers, uh, which is not a good idea. Uh, the, the most common uh, insult gesture in America is the one that you know called the finger. And that is Roman. That's an ancient Roman gesture imported into America by Italian uh, arrivals. It was known as the digitus impidus, the impudent finger. And it was used as an insult and and it's again it survived thousands of years i have to say that knowing knowing the classic history of of the finger it feels like a lot it, fe it feels a lot classier giving someone the finger with all yes, that history you are, you behind are, us. you're going back to ancient rome and uh, you can take that as a, a as a gesture a classical gesture 
Well, Desmond, thank you so much for uh, answering Emily's question. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for calling me. You know, one of the most dramatic gestures that you see in all of American life is an umpire calling a batter out. And probably the guy who does this better than anybody is Tom Hallion. Tom, can you describe for us your strike three call? I can try, but I, I don't know if it will do it justice. Um, what it is is uh, on the strike three, I'll kind of twist my hips about 180 degrees, so I'm turning like like I'm going to turn, you know, about face. And when I do that, I take it, it's like I call it it's like ripping a phone book, and I I yell a big yeah when I when I do it, so it's. Um, there, there's a there's a big loud sound that goes with it also. All right, we should listen to a, a few of your calls. And what I love about this is um, what you're doing is so dramatic that the the commentators are, have stopped talking about the players and they're talking about you. However many guys. Oh, look at Hallian calling a big strikeout. So guard down looking. Well, a little paint fastball down and away. Oh yeah, that's there. Tom Hallian. <laughs> I mean, he could pull something with these calls. <laughs> Wait, when you yell, and I wonder about this with any home plate umpire, are you actually saying something? Uh, it's, it, everybody is different. Uh, y- you know, mine, when I call strike, strike one, strike two, it's strike, you know, and, and really, you might be able to understand it, you might not. <laughs> and then for strike three, no, I'm just basically yelling. Ah! That, that's, that's what that is. <laughs> well, Tom, thank you so much for uh, talking to us. Well, my pleasure. Hey there. You. You like podcasts. We can tell. You should check out NPR's brand new politics podcasts. It's a bunch of NPR political reporters, smart people who know about this stuff, talking about this stuff like they might at a bar uh, after a couple drinks. It's like the stuff you hear on All Things Considered or Morning Edition, but loose, unplugged. A little crazy, drunk. It's fun. Uh, listen and subscribe to the NPR Politics Podcast at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. We heard from Eric. Eric says he listens to our podcast while roasting coffee. Says we help him get his beans hot. Eric, these next 15 seconds are for you. Way down among Brazilians, coffee Eric, probably the perfect song for you and your hot beans is Frank Sinatra's coffee song. Eric, uh, you froth our milk. You're the steam in our latte. And the pumpkin spice that's also in our latte. Well, that does it for today's show. What we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that when it comes to their teeth, dentists have the same concerns that we do. Like, they worry about flossing. Yeah, I, frankly, I think the whole dental system we have could be so much better than it is. Right. You think about it. I, so we have baby teeth, right? You get teeth, you lose them when you're six or seven, and then you get another set of teeth, and those have to last like 70 years. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be so nice if you just every six years you got new teeth, you yeah. know, fresh start? They're like iPhones. Yeah. Every 18 months. Yeah, you have a tooth expo where mm-hmm. some guy in a turtle mock turtleneck comes out and says, "You guys like chewing? You're gonna love this." And yeah, and you have one tooth that uh, has been shattered, and it hurts a little bit. But you know, if you just hold on, yeah. till it comes out, you get first in line. Yeah, and then boom. 
But there's those those gum contracts with AT and teeth. Is that who you have? Yeah, I have Teeth Mobile. How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Candace. Candace wrote a great little report about what it's like to be our intern. You can see that on our website, howtodoeverything.org. And get us your questions at howto at npr.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Do you, uh, do you use a Bluetooth? No, thanks to Crest uh, White Strips, I use a white tooth.